everybody. Welcome to the Family Jewels True Crime Podcast. My name is Brian Sobolewski, and this is episode four of season three, Determinism. And uh, I'm going to continue on from, from the story where we were. And I got some notes that I want to read towards the end to give you some idea of, of the type of therapy that I did, which was Determinism. And uh, I want to get into some of the nuts and bolts of that. So um, to pick up where we left off... Um, you know, mom, mom is gone. <laughs> mom is gone and I am, you know, I, I kind of keep the house. Wasn't sure what I was going to do with the house. Um, according to mom's wishes, it was, you know, it would be sold and we would split the money three ways, uh, minus expenses and shit like that. And uh, I, I don't know that I ever really considered keeping it. Because I didn't, you know, I didn't certainly wasn't going to live with my brother and my sister. And I couldn't live there and just be like, hey, I'm living here now and you go do whatever the hell you want. You know what I mean? I, it wasn't mine. And I certainly, I had the power to be like, no, you can't live. I could do whatever the hell I wanted with it, basically. And I got to tell you something. It was a power I didn't really like. Because, you know, it was hard to be judicious. Every Sobolewski has an issue with that. You know, and I wanted to be as fair as possible. I wanted to just be a beacon for mom. I wanted to be her voice beyond the grave or the urn. Um, by the way, I forgot to say in the last episode, uh, the urn that I chose for her. Uh, the urn, which still is in existence, I believe my sister has it. It was a wooden box and uh, I paid for the stenciling. We stent, uh, There was a mountain stenciled on top of the box and Lucille Joan Rooney dates. Um, and I don't know if we put a saying, I don't think I did, but, um, that's what they gave, um, gave us her ashes in. It's like two grand for a box. So look around your house, man. You got any little wooden boxes that a person could fit into, man. You might be sitting on some money. But it was mom's wishes. And again, this this is mom speaking beyond the grave that the three of us would get together and go to the White Mountains. She didn't care where in the White Mountains in New Hampshire, but she loved the Kangamangas Highway. Kangamangas, Kankamagas, I don't care how you want to pronounce it. I'm not Native American. I'm sure neither one of those are correct. But uh, if you've never been up to Lincoln, New Hampshire, I'm sure it's it has grown... You know, it was a family place when I went up there. Uh, I went up there with a, my best friend one week. The memorial, or what was the last weekend of the summer, is Labor Day weekend. Uh, we usually went that week and got the extra weekend day, so we came back on that Monday. And me and my buddy went up there and and just explored the, uh, the entire White Mountains. I don't think there's a peak in the White Mountains that I have not climbed. In, in a, you know, denim jacket and shorts and stupid Nikes, like, that's what we did. I remember we climbed Mount Washington once in the rain, in our shorts. And people, like, we were passing professional hikers who are like, dude, you gotta turn around. And we were like, nah, man, we're gonna hit the, we're gonna hit the peak. But, you know, just a magnificent area. And what I thought was Nirvana until I went out to Colorado. Uh, you see that was, you see the continental divide and you see the top of the world and and New Hampshire man whew, starts to look like a bunch of hills. No offense, New Hampshire, love you. So she wanted us to get together, all three of us, which you know with Kev still away at that point for another what are we talking about six years at least seven years that that was a long way off. You know, I'm going to have to take mom and squirrel her somewhere and uh, wait for that day to happen. But I'm going to tell you something. I knew it wasn't going to happen, and it hasn't happened. Now, <laughs> this is horrific. I got to tell you, this is horrific because I didn't expect this. I didn't expect this. So, instead of, 
And knowing that I was not going to get together with Jess and Kev at any point after Kev got out, the three of us were ever going to get in a car and go up to the White Mountains and find a spot to release mom's ashes into the atmosphere or whatever the hell she wanted. I just knew it wasn't going to happen, but I wanted to be able to close that chapter. I wanted to be able to do my part. I wanted to do that. So that's exactly what I did. Forget who I was. I, th I think I was dating a girl at the time and I brought her up and Jess was with me. Jess came. Because I was just going to take a third of the ashes and spread them. My, my share. Is that weird? I Just saying that right now sounds really weird. I was going to take a third of those ashes, scoop them up, and I had no idea what to expect when I opened this urn. No idea. So if anybody has done this, you know. You know you know what you found. Okay. So I take the urn, my sister, um, some chick I'm dating, uh, up to Loon Mountain Resort, right at the base of the mountain. They have a beautiful resort. And one of the things that I loved most about going up to Loon Mountain, which is where I went with my best friend my whole life, I know that place like the back of my hand, is um, the Pemigewasset. The Pemigewasset River, it, it's huge and it's, it's, it's so many, it's all rocks, it's all granite, it's all stone. And one of my favorite things to do with my buddy is we would um, throw some, some, like a pony keg in the water. And then we would just spend the day running up the river as far as we could. It was it was such it was a very uh, fast flowing river. There weren't many places that it was calm enough to be able to like get in and swim. You were always facing some sort of current. And listen, if you get caught with the current, you're getting slammed into some huge rocks, man. But uh, during the summer, this thing was pretty low. There weren't many parts of this river at that point that were high enough to you know take you out. <laughs> but it was just a, the coolest place in the world to explore because it went everywhere. It went everywhere you could explore so much of that beautiful, beautiful region just following that river. And that's the place that I thought would be the best way to disperse my share of mom. <laughs> and, and, you know, I did it with a lot of pomp and circumstance. Okay? I went up, I got a room, a really nice suite, with um, with a uh, a kitchen, because listen, I, I, when I go away, I I'm not doing three meals out. One or two cool, but one of them I want to stay at home. I love to cook, so made a really nice meal that night. The next day, prepared. I bought. I went to this little antique store in North Conway, and I bought this little bowl type of thing. It was brass, but it had beautiful inlays in it. And it was, um, it was just a nice little piece. And I was going to use that to contain, to, to take my third of the ashes out, bring them down to the Pemigewasset River. I was going to take some flowers, a uh, you know, bunch of uh, wildflowers that I bought. I did buy them from a florist because they were beautiful. Uh, and I didn't want to pick them. I'm not, I didn't want to go and kill a bunch of flowers and <laughs> I'd have somebody else kill them pay for them and then I could release them with the ashes so I had a whole plan this is how we were supposed to disperse all of them so come the morning of I have my little tiny antique bowl with a cover on it that I can you know gingerly walk down to the river that is right there on the resort and I wanted to find the nicest quietest place that had some depth that I could disperse the flowers and the ashes and disperse as much of mom throughout the White Mountains as I could because that's what she wanted. Ideally, she wanted us to dump her on top of a mountain so the wind could just blow her everywhere. <laughs> These are ashes, guys. You know that, right? Um, but I, I wanted to go the water route. I'm a water sign. I'm a Pisces. Boom, I wanted to pop her in and disperse her that way. <laughs> So I take this box. It's it's a, a little bigger, a little square, like square, like a square shoe box. Think of it that way. And it had heft. So I and I thought that was from the wood. I did not know how much ash this was. Okay, so I flipped the box over. 
unscrew. Um, there were four screws to the to this back part, and open that up, and there's a bag inside, and it's wrapped up. I unravel it, and I'm like, "Holy mother of God! There is a lot of mum here." I was like, "Did did we burn her with some shit?" And I for, I gotta say, I forget whether or not it was sealed, like hermetically sealed, like they used the uh, the heat to. I don't remember. What I do remember is this is not just ash. This is not just ash. This is bone and teeth. And dude, it's not good. It's I expected to just just get a little pile of ash, cover that thing up, go down, dump it, and be on my way. I didn't expect chunks. So I reach my hand down into this bag with this bowl and I go to scoop and it, I, I do probably one of the reasons why when I hear somebody walking on gravel, that that's the sound and it always gives me a chill. Scoop out my third of mum. This is so gross. And pulled it out of the bag and covered it up. Put it down and rolled the thing back up, put it put mom back into the box and screwed the thing down and tried as hard as I could to forget <laughs> to forget that that happened. But I couldn't because there's a bowl of mom sitting right there on the kitchen table. So it's time. Uh, it was a cloudy day. It had just rained, but it was still really, really warm, very humid and uh, overcast. But it was dark, which was going to make the water cold and not very uh, fun to get out. And like there was nothing to dry me off and warm me. But hey, this is <laughs> a bowl of mom I got to get rid of. So I bring it down to the river and I keep it tightly lit and I start traversing rocks and trying to find the nice, quietest little place. I got the flowers with me and I'm bump, bump you know, bopping from rock to rock. And I'm starting to, you know, I'm starting to get into, hey, this is exactly how I foresaw me, you know, fulfilling my mother's wishes um, and doing what she asked me to do. So I find a spot. Real serene. There's a little, you know, there there was a, a place that pushed through a bunch of really uh, flat rocks and it was like a slide. But again, you got to be really careful, man, because you could start getting momentum and you're getting plowed into a rock. That's what's going to kill you. But this was nice enough that I could get a little bit of a, I could float with it and, you know, I could dump and go in and slide down with it and go with the flowers. So I find a spot Get, get in the water. It's about knee high before I go into this really, really deep portion of it that takes me probably 50 feet down river. And I open up the little thing. And I had no... Uh, I wasn't going to keep this little bowl. That, that bowl will always remind me of that sound. So, no, not coming with me. So, I take the bowl, take off the cover, throw it, sacrifice that to the, to the Pemigawasset gods. And I pour mum into I let the flowers go first and I pour mom into the into the river and I have to say that that probably was the coolest part because the Pemigewasset River did exactly what I what I had hoped it would and it just took mom and whoom, dispersed her very quickly and I went in with it just after her and I took a ride down the Pemigewasset River with one third of mom and you know uh closure I guess I don't know you know no I don't know that I got a sense of anything from that other than this this was just creepy <laughs> this this was just you know it was symptomatic of how fractionated we were you know we were every we were just family just as if a bomb had gone off and you know the collateral you know get up to look at the collateral damage and you know you look at the blast radius and you know me Kevin Josh just ended up kind of on the outside of, of that blast radius. And, uh, you know, the, the, we were just never going to get together and and do that and, and do it whole. And I wasn't, in hindsight, would I have just taken all of mom and put her in? Maybe because of two-thirds of her are still sitting with Jess. It's unfinished business. 
And, and I don't know. I don't know how either of them feel about it. I'm, you know, but um, I no, I don't have a sense of closure because it's not done. And I don't know if anything, if uh, a little selfish, you know, I do, I'm, I'm doing my thing and, and I don't know. I don't know if there are eternal consequences. I don't know if mom is in heaven right now and the third of her is up there and two thirds of her is still hanging out here. And if that's the case, just man, <laughs> tear down that wall, open that urn, man. Let mom go. Not in Florida though. Don't do it here. You, you, gotta, uh, you know, bring her to Colorado or something, but that's going to be done. Gonna finish that. I'd like to. I'd actually like to. So, um, that's how that's how I dealt with with that little portion. That was before I was gonna sit down and actually figure out what am I gonna do about the house? What am I gonna do? Am I gonna sell it? Am I gonna keep it? Maybe I live in it. Will it be? You know, I didn't know anything about the real estate market, and this was right before. The giant bubble where, you know, my mom's $119,000 house could have been sold for half a mil. This is when, you know, and we're in the middle of that now again. Um, maybe bigger this time. But that bubble bursts. And when that bubble bursts, you know, it's like a Black Monday again in the stock market and shit. So, um, essentially, there was, there was so many things going on at this period that, you know, it, it's it's almost you can see where i ended up getting overwhelmed and you can see where so much of my behavior um ended up getting called out and became a real real problem okay so i want to set up the the perfect storm of things that start to transpire because there's several worlds i'm dealing with mom's gone and and her wish, other than the ashes, was that I sell the house and that I split the money three ways equally minus any expenses. And she did pay the lawyer ahead of time, but there was other stuff I did have to pay for the funeral, which all told was like nine grand. And that's exactly what mom didn't want me to do. But that Chuchy Gladys and Chuchy Franny ended up sort of pushing me to because it was it was right. The family needs to say goodbye. You need to give them the opportunity to say goodbye. And they both offered to pay. But I know that would have pissed mom off. So, you know, that was the nine grand. Mom desperately asked me not to spend. And there it was. I got to write that check. And, and I begin that process. So, I was in the house probably for, I don't know... After mom died, man, I, I had this freedom. I'm still on probation. So I'm maintaining two residences, basically. My grandmother's house down in Saugus, Massachusetts is where I told probation I lived. Like they want to know where do you park your car every single night? Not most nights, not two out of seven or five out of seven. What night, you know, where is your car every night? They want to know. They, and they want to be able to verify that. They want to be able to call. They they um, they didn't want me in New Hampshire. They were clear about that. And that if I was pulled over on 95 in New Hampshire, that I was to present be able to present paperwork saying that I had permission to be there. And you know what? Probably really difficult to verify that, except for the fact that every single um, incident police have to report and that report goes into a a large computer system which means that this officer had a interaction with this motorist and that motorist's name set off a, an alarm to probation down in Massachusetts and you know that's how they end up catching up with you right so that's the risk that I'm running when I'm spending five nights a week up at mom's because I had the house to myself Still, it was very difficult for me to be alone in that house. I basically kept all of my time to the living room, which is where I, I lived when I was there. I had, there was a little futon there. I just folded down. I went to sleep, and that's where the fireplace was. That's where the TV was, every, every, and it was adjacent to the kitchen. Everything I needed. Um, so, and everything, you know, all other parts of the house to me I didn't need. I didn't want. 
to this day, a one-bedroom apartment is more room than I need, which is another change, I think, of, of being incarcerated, is the fact that um, I, I prefer to keep my life the way I kept myself. Uh, I like to only have the amount of material that I need to keep in a locker room. When I start to accumulate shit, I don't like it. Having a couch uh, right now, a bed, and a coffee table, and a TV stand right now, those that's more than I need and more than I want and causes me anxiety. I don't want any of it. So, uh, you know, I don't... Because if I... Ha I don't know. I'm going to finish that sentence because I stopped myself. But if I have to get into my car and just leave, I don't want to leave that shit behind. I don't want anything that I have to leave behind. And that's, that's very, it's a very difficult way to live. But at the same time, I'm compelled to do it. It's a, it's a weird thing to say. But there's all, there are things I'm compelled to do in terms of the way that I that I keep things. Very simple. Minimalistic would be probably the, the word that will help you understand. You know, think of a prison cell. There's nothing in that prison cell you're allowed to have that is more than your, your, your need to survive. And if you were to walk through my apartment right now, um, some, a girl once called it a touchdown. I don't know if you know what that is, but that's a term that they use for a guy that's married and has rents an apartment and just uses it to bang other girls. That's exactly what she thought my apartment was. I, there's nothing on the walls to indicate that I had a life anywhere else. Um, minimal. It's minimalistic. Bare. And um, I want it. That, I have to have it that way. I don't like shit. There's a, I have a picture right now. It's on the floor in my living room. I'm, I haven't hung it. I've been here over three years. It's a picture of, of the mountain that I lived under, you know, in the valley of when I was in Colorado. I love the picture. I always wanted to hang it, but, but there is a, uh, a resistance. Don't. I don't even want the picture anymore. It, so to to begin to the dissection process that that we're talking about that that needs to happen for you to understand any of me and any of the season begins sort of here um so that that's a revelation and and something that I will continue to expound on for me but um that was a big, that's a big change for me because if you look at all my, there are, there's a picture of me and my brother in Somerville um, when I was uh, right before, and this is, this is past the point we're at in this, in the story, but um, I decorated that place. I had superhero pictures up on the wall and, and I had things and, and, you know, if I had to move, I had to rent a truck and fill it and move my stuff somewhere else. I had books and I had stuff. I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't want it anymore. So, uh, I just don't like to be weighed down by stuff. Ideally, the things in my apartment right now I care about would fit into a bag. I could get into my car and be gone. And no one would ever, there would be very scant evidence I was ever here. It's weird. It's it's weird. It's weird for me to, to, to verbalize right now to you, but that's how I am. I have a couch right now and I love it, but it's heavy. It's heavy just to think about like shit, you know, I, <laughs> roots just aren't the entire time that I was in Colorado prior to here. Uh, I lived in uh, employee housing. It was furnished. I, none of what and that room I could pack up into a bag and be gone. Or pack my car up and be gone. And I've done it. I've done it a couple times. Nantucket was the same. You know, I it, this life sort of lends itself to me being, hey, screw it. I don't have roots anywhere. I'll go all over the place. And, and you know, I was on that path. But but that that piece of it, that minimalistic, I don't want stuff. It's heavy. It it starts. I don't know. 
I don't know how any other way to explain it, but it started right then. It was right then. So I'm living at my grandmother's as my residence. I got mom's house and and mom's house is starting to feel very heavy. I have probation that uh, needs me to check in twice a week and like I said, they, they want to know where I park my car. They don't want to know where I lay my head. And I'm lying to them. School is going well. My, my grades are decent. But that's where two teachers pull me aside. And um, one was my statistics teacher. And I want to use these as examples of me not being able to control my impulses. So impulse control... And listen, so much of of my humor I have developed to, you know, the older you get, you get better with, with your sarcasm. But back then I used it to stab. I like to use it to bite. And I had a very difficult time with statistics and the instructor was fantastic. I remember this guy. Um, I took him. Every semester of the two and a half years that I was there to get my bachelor's degree in psychology because um, he challenged me um, and he and he knew how to how to talk me down, man. I would go into a, a class and I was very I would usually be respectful, but I had one psychology teacher that did not appreciate my humor. <laughs> and it was um, I think it was an abnormal psych class. And I was sat in the back and I was friendly with the people around and I would crack jokes and they would start laughing and crack jokes. And, and eventually I started trying a wider audience and it was during the midterm that he gave out the midterm and then he gave out the blue book for the essay and then he said, okay, I want everybody to relax. And I raised my hand and I said, can I take my pants off? And the entire room erupted. Like everybody was tense about the exam. He was kind of a prick about testing. And I don't I took it upon myself to channel that. I was the lightning rod. I felt. It was a prick. And and he found it inappropriate. And what's interesting is he pulls me outside after the exam and he says, Listen, uh, I don't want to have to report this to HR. Or, you know, but like he told me he was going to report my comment because he felt that many people in the class were very uncomfortable by what I said. Listen, uh, bullshit, but okay, sorry, you know, no problem, dude. And I ended up walking away with a B plus in that class, but that dude, he, I, you could see I couldn't keep my mouth shut, wasn't going to keep my mouth shut. And uh, the other guy, the statistics guy, this was my first semester with him in the entire class. I remember sitting 10 minutes before class and everybody was talking about how hard his first test was because nobody passed it. And everyone was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And people get neurotic about their grades and I was no different. And I was like, geez, I don't think I'm going to pass this class. I think I got like a 37 because you don't understand statistics is... You're taught your whole life by nuns. I was taught by nuns my whole life. You know, the certainty of mathematics. There is a right and wrong answer. But statistics comes along, you know, you're programmed your whole life to believe that A plus B equals C. And then statistics comes along to just challenge the existence of C. You got to prove that C even exists. And there's so many parts of statistics that if they were used correctly, you couldn't prove anything because there's always some there's always some variable out there that you could plug in that says, hey, this influences your outcome more than what you think influenced the outcome. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's crazy. And right now, if you hear that 80% of people anything, it's wrong. Do not ever believe a percentage or something that sounds like a statistic because you wouldn't even be able to validate that without the standard deviation and all like it's evidence. It's evidence. Um, I guess it's critical thinking and evidence based, but at the same time, there's this, hey, there's multiple things that we have to tweak and make sure exist first. It's just to make sure that if we replicated this, situation elsewhere we would get the same result and 
it's, I, I love the way that it helped me think more abstractly. Like I could think of deep ideas and shit, but at the same time, it drove me fucking nuts. It really did. It drove me crazy because there was no way for me to just say, hey, tell me what table to go look at or what is the, just tell me what, you know, you'd have to do an equation inside an equation to figure out whether or not the first equation was an equation. It was just, it's, it's just that difficult and that frustrating. So as I'm listening to the entire class, Mr. Lightning Rod decides, hey, I think the teacher needs to know. And he walks in, and he's he's a big guy, and but he's a scientist, and I'm not he's not a badass, and very intelligent, and you could you know you could tell he's the kind of guy that wrestles with how intelligent he is, like he's on some spectrum. I'm not saying like the 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 <laughs> it doesn't have uh, autism, but there is a spectrum that by which you would measure him, <laughs> and um. I raised my hand and I said, hey, uh, that test really sucked. And the class laughed and he kind of chuckled. And, you know, then he went on with the whole his whole class of discussing about, hey, listen, I'm going to put this on a curve. So nobody failed the test. And, you know, before I opened my big, stupid fucking mouth, I, I found it, you know, I needed to. Uh, I don't know. He pulled me aside afterward. He pulled me into his office and he says, hey, you know, I like you. You're a good guy, but I think you're uh, I think you're a little angry. I was like, what? Like, fuck you. <laughs> and but I don't know. It poked me. It poked me. This I respected this guy and and I disrespected him. Right. And I, I don't know why I had to do that. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. It's it's just so passive aggressive, stupid. But uh, this was the beginning of me starting to say, hey, there's there's a problem here. OK, let's continue. Working at Bally's Total Fitness um, as a personal trainer, I, I passed my personal training exam. Um, and now I'm a certified personal trainer. And the first thing that I realized when I get into first, I was so excited when I get to Bally's my first day because they're like, hey, we're sending you to an education course in Cambridge. So I had to drive all the way into Cambridge to take a sales course. We spent like two and a half hours going through what a typical um, used car sales person would go through for, hey, does your wife support your decision to come in today and look at these cars? Just so you know who writes the checks and if they're like, oh, no, she doesn't support the decision. Well, geez, you got to get her on board because you're not going to get the sale. And like, the, you know, you got to find the emotional driving want and you got to get them to say yes at least four times before you continue to. And, and you got to ask for the sale. And once you ask for the sale, you got to, the first person that talks is going to lose the sale. I mean, this is, you know, coffee is for closers kind of shit. And I was so disappointed because that, that was so much of, of what personal training is and was at that time was sales. You have to be a salesman. And I was starting to have issues there because I was starting to tell people, hey, what, what's your problem? You're fat. I, like, <laughs> I would do this assessment. And listen, I've never done an assessment on anybody that I was like, hey, you should probably go home. You're good. Right? And the valleys had these sales techniques. I'd go in and I'd, you know, do a body fat test and I'd make you run, you know, do a bunch of stuff that you couldn't do anyway. Oh, look at your heart rate. And I'd prove what a piece of shit you are and then sit down and say, you need training. And I was very aggressive about it. And people started to complain. I did well, which, you know, they weren't going to just fire me. I had a client list. I was their number one seller. But as the number one seller, you got to see it, 20 people I'm in front of. Five would sign up with me. 15 would leave pissed. And I started getting pulled aside by the manager. Hey, this person said you did this. And this person said you said that. And hey, you're not supposed to tell somebody not to fuck. I was, I was ruthless. I didn't see it. I didn't know where it came from either. That that has never been... Like, I don't know. Anybody that knows me from back then... I was an angry kid, but I took it out on myself. I, I was always on a collision course to, to destroy myself. I wasn't going to take anybody with me. That wasn't my style. But with everything going on, man... I, I think I started to become unhinged. And my first... My first delve into therapy... 
Um, and I got to tell you that some of this will sound cocky, but you got to understand I have two degrees. You know what I mean? I, or I'm, I'm on my way to having two psychology degrees. I've done therapy my whole life. I've been in and out of therapy. I've manipulated therapists. I've gone into therapy when I was a kid just to hang out with somebody just because I liked the attention and I, I, I gave him somebody else's life. And, and I, so I have always studied, studied me. So when I tell you that I sat down with this one woman therapist in Salem, she took notes of what I was saying so she could say it to other patients. I'm in the middle of this thing. And she goes, so why do you think you can't form healthy relationships? I said, well, I have a healthy detachment with my father figure, blah, blah. And I'd go into some Jungian Freudian shit. She'd frantically scribble it down. She goes, you know what? I have a guy that I think would benefit from this. Do you mind if I write that down? And that's when I knew, you know, this is our last appointment. I'm, if I'm teaching you, how are you going to help me? So I hope that, you know, that sounds cocky, but, you know, I had a head full, I had a snoot full of this shit. And I knew I was, I was beginning to be able to tell good therapy from bad therapy. And I hope, I hope people have a gauge for that. The same way that I hope you can tell a good personal trainer from a bad personal trainer, a good plumber from a bad plumber. But you know, it's very difficult. <laughs> it's not easy until you start to delve into, you know, what that is and do your homework and stuff. But, um... This, this became very frustrating for me, unbelievably frustrating for me to find the therapist that was eventually going to, was going to save me from myself because at the end of all of that, um, Bally's, uh, you know, I was doing well there, but there was tension. The manager and I weren't getting along very well because of my shit attitude. And I thought it was her fault. And then I started blaming everybody else. And I started to see the signs on the wall that, you know, you know, I'm going to get out of this. And I started and believe me that probation wouldn't fucking get off my ass about 40 hours a week I need to see that you have worked. It needs to say it on your check. And, and I kept fighting him back on it. And at one point I had to sit down with the chief probation officer because Alba and I were button heads too much because I was like, fuck you, I'm going to school full time and I'm working at two different places, the nutrition store and at Bally's with a full, you know, full load of what they considered a full load. Four clients a night, every night was, was full time to them, but it wasn't eight hours a day that Alba needed. I was like, go, go fuck yourself. It came to a header when Alba called me one morning and she said, hey, um, you got to go get drug tested right now. Get up, put some pants on, go to this location and pee in the cup and then you're good. And I was like, all right. And I hung up and I blew it off. I had a test that day. I, I you know, how dare you call me up? You know, I have shit to do. I'll get there when I get there. And that afternoon, about four o'clock, she calls me back and she says, hey, you didn't go. And I was like, yeah, I had too much shit to do. She says, well, the testing site's closed. You missed it. And uh, I'm going to violate you. That That's a violatable offense. I need you to come in tomorrow. Do not go anywhere. I will be in this office at eight o'clock. You will be here too. And we're going to sit down with the chief probation officer. Again, this was my second time sitting down with this woman. So I'm like, okay, I didn't give a shit. I, I didn't know how serious it was. Like I'm close to getting lunked back, back up state, man. It's a much harder process. So I'm not, I wasn't stupid. I wasn't stupid. I, I knew how, I, I thought I knew how far I could push these people. So I go into that appointment and I'm quickly ushered in and Alba and the chief uh, probation officer both sitting there and this woman's very stern she's got this position she's seated above me and I'm below her and she rips me a new asshole Alex so we don't know if you're clean now we're not going to drug test you because you anything that we were looking for yesterday could be out of your system by now and I'm like that's bullshit even cocaine takes 48 hours to get out of your system 
So, yeah, I'll do your test now if you want. But I wasn't using anything. I was busy. And I started to say, why is Alba harassing me like this, man? I'm a student. I'm doing good. You know, I, I didn't know. Every time I went in there, there were people with tattoos on their faces that looked like they just rolled out of a fucking drunk tank. And she's giving me a hard time, man. Give me a break. You know, I just was finally like, give me a fucking break. And she asked Alba to leave. And close the door behind her. And this probation officer says, look, you little shit. She don't give a shit who you are. But she opens my file and she goes, look at the, this list of charges. And you're going to come in here with that attitude. I am not afraid to go in front of a judge and violate you right now. But I don't see the point in it. So cut the shit. She tells you to go to a drug test. You're going to go. And you're going to say, thank you, Alba. Because Alba was, Alba was having a tough time with me. I can't believe she was having a tougher time with me than somebody that was spitting at her. <laughs> like seriously, what do you think? What do you think of the pool of people that she has to deal with? How bad am I? But man, she had an issue, man, and, and it was a power struck thing for me. Fuck you, I'm out. If you want to go to the expense of sending me back, you know that's on you. But I don't think it's going to make you look good. Hey, we sent a straight-A student that's working as hard as he can back to prison. Brilliant. Got him off the streets. So I started seeing the writing on the wall at Bally's. And I got to tell you, as soon as I got out, like I've said in episode three, being an ex-con in America, um, you know, what, what, what do you do? What, do you tell people? Do you not tell people? I never told Bally's. I told I checked on I checked off on the Bally's application. No, I had never been um, convicted of a felony, and they never checked. Um, so who do you tell? Who do you tell? Who do you tell? Who are you gonna Who are you gonna Who are you gonna confide that information to? And it was it. This is it. Starts to become a real concern, and. I had this client at Bally's, Gary. I'm not gonna say his last name, but he was a big time real estate uh, broker and his family in Marblehead and Swampscott, two very upscale zip codes in Massachusetts. And I have this guy, this guy comes in to Bally's and he's like, listen, I just got a membership. And this is him to my boss at the time. I need a trainer that, that I need an older guy. I need somebody that's going to be disciplined. He's got to be with me three times a week. No, you know, canceling and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm very consistent. And I start meeting with this guy on a regular basis. He says, listen, if I don't have you stand in front of me, making me do this, I won't do it. And I certainly won't do it the way you'll make me do it. So this is why I do this. And we became amazing friends because this is what I loved about him. Just as things were starting to get bad at Bally's and I was about to walk out the door and to you know, try to go find something else, I said to him, listen, uh, I got into some trouble as a kid. I've done some prison time. And he was on the he was on the peck deck machine, but we were doing it backwards. So he was getting the back part of his shoulder. I don't know if anyone knows what the hell I'm talking about, but he's on that. His face, his face is right in the pad. And I say to him, yeah, I've been to trouble. I've been to prison. I kind of whispered to him and he turns and he looks right at me. He goes, you know what? Me too. <laughs> Here is a prominent real estate broker in Marblehead, Massachusetts, and in Swampscott, Massachusetts, in Lynn, Massachusetts, the good part of Lynn. Um, probably a slumlord, who knows, but this guy's got money. Um, not huge, huge money, but he does well, enough to pay for a trainer $100 an hour, three times a week. And I'm, I know him for you know a year that I worked there, and, and I'm hiding my past and I'm hiding it and I'm hiding it. And the universe just gives me this one way of saying, hey, hey, idiot, you are not the only person out there. When that guy turned his little turkey neck towards me and he goes, oh my God, me too. And I asked for what? And he defrauded a bunch of people out of their uh, pensions or something, or he sold some fraudulent land or some weird real estate deal or something, but it was brilliant. He did federal time where he, he's like, dude, I did federal. He's, where'd you do your time? I said, state. He goes, where? he says, I was federal. And he goes, uh, he goes, I had, uh, we got ice cream every night. He said, I had Ben and Jerry's pretty much every night of my sentence. Damn it. But uh, Gary was just, and he came with me to my next job. And that's where I'm, that's where I'm going to leave episode four. Um, determinism. 
because we are we are <laughs> I'm getting into some deep time here. Um, that's where I'm going to end the, the story part. Okay, because this is this is the time that I open up the um, the phone book. And I turn to therapists because I know with everything going on in my life, um, I, I need somebody to sit and talk to. And I don't have parents and I don't have a support system that some of you people out there, if you're healthy, I don't know what you do. I don't know what regular people do. And I don't want to know because it just makes me mad that I don't have it. And I decide that therapy is going to be my surrogate parent. And it always has been. It's always, you know, when I give myself to it, I had always done really, really good work in therapy. I always had with Marcel and I was still, you know, hanging out with Marcel very regularly at the time. And he was therapizing me. We were, they, my visiting him for dinner would essentially be a therapy appointment. And I know it and he knew it, but he tried to pretend like it wasn't that, that we were just two people chatting, but he, he, and, and the same to Patty. When I would go see Patty, we would just sit and, and, and just Patty's, and Marcel's own way, they just become this beacon. Like they just open themselves up and they're like, hey, dump whatever you need to right here. Because, uh, you know, <laughs> if anyone can make sense of it, we're here. And maybe we can't make sense of it, but we're going we're gonna to be okay sitting in it with you. In that respect. And if you ever have a therapist, I have to tell you that without that, shy of that, uh, don't go. That won't be helpful. So I opened this this book and and this ad was like because I have to tell you one of one of my caveats to therapy was that I'm not gonna sit there and and dump um all of my shit on somebody and just have them be like, and how does that make you feel? And how does that make you feel? And how does that make you feel? I want a uh, uh interactive experience and, and I want that therapist to use their education to instruct me I want them to to call me out is essentially what I'm saying I can't sit there and just tell the story of my poor life and say oh my god it's so sad and have you just sit and nod and be like oh my god that's terrible please um, tell me more Listen, I have a, a dynamic story. I have tons of wow factor that you can imagine. I could waste six months in therapy just going through this stuff and having you scribbling feverishly and going home and telling your wife, oh my God, I have an ex-con that did all this stuff and I'm, I'm trying to help him. But some of that is fine for me to go in and just dump, but I need a therapist that is going to start to pick it apart. And that's where I got to when I walked into my therapy with Bob. Now, I'm just going to take a couple of seconds to go through with you um, some of the basic tenets of this therapy. Okay. And it's important. Like, I don't, I don't want this to become... Something that you're like, oh, I don't understand what he's talking about. This isn't going to be Freudian. I'm not going to talk about egos and superegos. Very, very, very easy to understand tenets. Okay. Tenet number one of determinism is everything in nature is worthy of respect, including all persons. Okay. Everything in nature is worthy of respect, including all persons. Determinism defines respect as representing that attitude, thought, and feeling, resulting from understanding the concept of total determinism. Applied to humanity, this implies there but for the differences in our determinants go I. All persons are totally selfish. This is tenant number two. So that first tenant is a lot. <laughs> Before I get into the second one, tenant number one, everything in nature is worthy of respect, including all persons. Determinism defines respect as representing that attitude, thought, and feeling, resulting from an understanding 
of total determinism. Applied to humanity, this implies there but for the differences in our determinants go I. There's a lot there. Second, tenant, all persons are totally selfish. This was a really hard. This is a hard concept. A lot of people will be like, no, that's not selfish. I'm not selfish. I give. Okay, just back up for a second. I, if I'm going to promise you from here on out, as we move forward with this, if, if, if you just listen and try to take away some of the shit that comes up to instantly defend something like that that is said because a lot of the stuff is is pretty in your face and not what you would typically get from therapy right would you imagine going into therapy and having to be like hey everybody's selfish maybe maybe now but back then this was different for me so I'm just going over the tenants and then I'm going to go over the story of me actually sitting down with Bob and how that went because that was, whoo, that was a good time. That That is the stuff of, you know, analyze this. But all persons are totally selfish. Tenant number two. This makes sense when we define selfishness neutrally to mean responding to one's own motivation or determinants is another way to say that. The question of whether one's actions are selfish or unselfish thus becomes irrelevant. The real issue is whether one's actions are intelligently, healthily, and socially selfish, or stupidly, neurotically, and antisocially selfish. Woo! Wow! Wow! Can we pause on that for a sec? <laughs> I love that. I love that, and we're going to read that again. I love it. Wow. I, I mean, see, I, I just, I just want to hear it again because it just makes, it makes a lot of sense to me, okay? All persons are totally selfish. This makes sense when we define selfishness neutrally to mean responding to one's own motivations. The question of whether one's actions are selfish or unselfish thus becomes irrelevant. The real issue is whether one's actions are intelligently, healthily, and socially selfish, or stupidly, neurotically, and anti-socially selfish. This was on a this was when I went in for this therapy. I was in this little tiny sort of home in in Beverly, Massachusetts. And I walk in and I meet Bob. Just the oddest, oddest dude you would ever want to meet in your life. Um, somebody that you saw. Uh, do you know the uh, who's the guidance counselor on South Park? Drugs are bad. That guy, I don't know what his name is. I don't watch South Park that much, but um, looked a lot like that. Had these really tiny, tiny glasses, these little tiny beady eyes, bald, and was holding on to whatever hair was sort of still accumulated around his ears. And he just had a very uh, gentle, passive way about him. And I fucking hated it. No. Um, but he was a bear, man. He went after me. He would challenge me on my shit. And this was the stuff that he would sort of say, Hey, um, the very beginnings of this therapy for me were hard. That was a hard concept for me to, to, to grasp because, you know, all the people in my life that I'm having trouble with, they're so selfish and I'm such a giver. That's bullshit if you read that statement again. And it puts everybody on an even field. So you can say, hey, you know what? I'm just out for me. And if, if you think that way, it's very difficult to put people on one side or another. That's all. That That's all I want to get through with this. And this is a long episode. I apologize, but I just want to get through these tenants before we get into the actual talk part of this type of therapy and what... and and what we actually talked about. That's what the rest of season three is going to be about. It's going to be that, how he just took layer upon layer of me out and said, let's look at that shit. Um, another tenant is there are no bad people, only persons who have greater or lesser degree of mental health. Wow. So Hitler wasn't bad. No, he was crazy. <laughs> Again, there's so many things that you can like yell out right now in in argument of what I just said. But what I'm asking you to do is just sit back and try to digest that. 
that, that. Because it goes on. That is not just a tenant that is just, hey, that, this is the, what we think and now you need to think it. There is, a, there is a process here, a thought process. Okay? Morality represents man's traditional attempt to formulate practical rules for living one's life. Okay, so when you look at healthy behavior is social, equitable, tolerant, cooperative, and respecting to all. Okay, so there are no bad people, only persons who have a greater or lesser degree of mental health. Healthy behavior is social, equitable, tolerant, cooperative, and respecting to all. Morality represents man's traditional attempt to formulate practical rules for living, living one's life. To the extent that they are neurotic, the powerful tend to mislead, deceive, or lie to the weak. Anyone argue with that? Parents tend to corrupt. Power brings out corruption or neurotic behavior. Consistent with the psycho psychosomatic principle, there is no life of the personality, mind, soul, spirit, psych, after the death of the body. Death only results in the recycling of our constituent chemicals. Another tenet. All concepts of heaven, hell, purgatory, limbo, and the like are false. Another tenet. And there are no anthropomorphic God. There is no anthropomorphic God with a knowledge of, concern, and plan for individual organisms. Those, those are the basic tenets of the, the, the therapy that we are going to get into. Now from here, the notes go into the nuts and bolts of what is, what, what is the process, right? So what, what is he trying to do with me every week that I come in and I start talking about, hey, my dad's a bad person. Well, there are no bad people, he would say. Only persons with greater or lesser degrees of mental health and, and power corrupts absolutely and anybody that has ever exhibited power over you probably corrupted by it so do you see why this makes perfect sense to me do you see as you know and and this i didn't learn all of this shit like day one he didn't sit down and he says hey i'm going to tell you all of these things this was over the course of me doing this type of therapy that we started if these are the tenants, well, you better back it up now, right? So, so here are these people saying, this is our type of therapy. All creatures are worthy of respect. Everybody's selfish because you're all just trying to get your own shit done. And if you are selfishly, uh, intelligently selfish and healthily selfish and socially selfish uh, and not stupidly, neurotically and antisocially selfish, then, you know, things could happen. Good things happen probably for you. And that there are no bad people, only people that are mentally healthy and people that don't have that degree of mental health. We see it every day. Is this not a snapshot of your life? Is it not a snapshot of the shit that you deal with every day that, that you know, at the bottom, I, I don't mean to, to confront anybody or shit on anybody's religion here either. So at the end here, understand that this is the greatest attempt that I've ever seen to use the scientific method and apply it to psychology, apply it to the human condition. There it is. And that's where I'm going to end it because I'm going to continue on. Uh, episode five is going to be, you know, my first appointment with Bob and we're going to get into some cool therapy, man. This is going to be like, analyze this. And uh, so I hope you loved this episode. Uh, there was a lot in here and this is how I, the, maybe the structure I want to do for these episodes of here's here's what's going on in my life and this is what I'm bringing into therapy and this is what he's helping me realize and this is why I struggle or this is why I thrive. These are where I found those answers. So uh, we will talk to you soon. Have a great week.